Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we're continuing our series, King Size Lessons on Faith and Failure, with a message called King Jehoram, a man who left no legacy. So turning your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 21 as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Kathy and I went for our usual walk the other night, and I asked her what she remembered about King Jehoram of Judah. Now, my wife is as biblically literate as they come, but she looked puzzled, and then she said, oh, I'm surprised that nothing comes to mind. And I smiled, not because I finally stumped her, but rather because of what is said at the end of King Jehoram's life, 2 Chronicles 21, verse 20. He was 32 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he departed with no one's regret. They buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. In short, everyone sighed a sigh of relief when he died, and not long after he was gone, well, just like my wife, no one really remembered him. Jehoram was a king who left no positive legacy behind. He was a king-sized failure. And today, I want to share five reasons why that was so and more so. If we avoid the same errors, we will do well in leading lives that count. Now, before we dive right into this king's disastrous life, let's consider this matter of leaving a legacy or being significant. You know, I once had an atheist friend who's consumed with being remembered after he died. He was terrified with the thought that he would have lived and died and it would not have mattered that he even existed. And so he was in the process of writing a book. It never got off the ground. And I mention this so that we won't feel that one of our goals in life should be that those who come after us should remember us. Because if that's our goal in life, well, we've put self, our own desires, making our mark in life as the goal of our lives. And as we're going to see, that's part of the disastrous failure that was King Jehoram's life. I mean, Jehoram would have loved Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way. I think he would have loved the poem by William Ernest Henley when he wrote, I'm the master of my fate, I'm the captain of my soul. <laughs> you know, in considering the failure of Jehoram's life and reign, we do well to remember what the proper contrast would look like. We do well consider the, the words of Psalm 106 verse 4. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them. See, the point is that all the psalmist wanted is not to be remembered by men, but to be remembered by God. When you save your people, remember me as well. Or in that regard, think of the words of the one dying thief crucified next to Jesus. What's his legacy? His request, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's so important for us not to have a goal, the kind of goal that, you know, the builders of the Tower of Babel had. You know, come, they said, let's build a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we might make a name for ourselves and that our name would not be blotted out. In contrast to those men, and by the way, none of us remembers the builders of the Tower of Babel today, but we have a story of Abraham. God told Abraham, I will make your name like the names of the greatest of the earth. And that's what happens when God remembers us. The legacy we then leave is a legacy of faithfulness that brings others to faithfulness. Now, King Jehoram was nothing like that. So let's begin by locating him in history. He reigned from the years 849 to 841 BC. But for four years, he was a co-regent ruling right alongside of his father, yep, the righteous King Jehoshaphat. 
It also seems that while his father was alive, that Jehoram's evil tendencies would have been kept in check. But when Jehoshaphat died, given his power as king, Jehoram now follows the wicked inclinations of his heart without restraint. So what were Jehoram's great failures? Well, first, Jehoram refused to accept his station in life, the one that God had given him. So let's begin to read the account. Second Chronicles 21 verse 1. Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Jehoram his son reigned in his place. I mean, so far things are normal, aren't they? One king dies, his son succeeds him. But then the complicating factors are mentioned. Jehoram has six brothers, and before his death, their father assigns six cities in which they would exercise jurisdiction, even while Jehoram, the oldest, was to rule the entire land. Now, it's not as if this practice had been unheard of. Jehoshaphat's great-grandfather, King Rehoboam, had done something quite similar. 2 Chronicles 11:22 to 23 says, And Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Maacah, as chief prince among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. And he dealt wisely and distributed some of his sons through all the districts of Judah and Benjamin in all the fortified cities, and he gave them abundant provisions and procured wives for them. That was wise policy. It established the kingly line as well as the line of succession. It also allows for other family members to have roles to play as they serve the nation as well. One man with absolute rule is always a recipe for disaster. But in Jehoram's case, that was unacceptable to him. And he's now the king and can do what he wants. Second Chronicles 21 verse 4 says, When Jehoram had ascended the throne of his father and was established, he killed all his brothers with the sword and also some of the princes of Israel. Now clearly this is murder, but it's also something else. It tells us that Jehoram was not thinking of the welfare of his nation. He was thinking about his own power and that no one would ever challenge it. And even if we look past that, there's also something else. Jehoram would not accept the role of kingship that had been given him. He could not see the wise hand of God in assigning him his station in life. Instead, he would murder to change that. It's a great tragedy when leaders don't welcome other strong leaders, allowing them to have their place of leadership as well. Instead, some leaders feel threatened when they see someone else with strong gifts. Eventually, that other leader is either demoted or put in their place or completely removed. Instead of seeing God sovereignly at work, designing matters in this way, they fight like fury for the kind of power that would allow them all the power to make decisions without someone looking over their shoulder. I wonder if you've ever noticed that in the New Testament, as Paul is establishing churches, he never gives the leadership of a local church into the hands of one man. He always appoints multiple elders. Yeah, good leadership arises, and usually one man does give primary leadership, but there are other good leaders also that surround good leaders. Jehoram wanted none of that. That's his first failure. He would murder to get the power he wanted. Let's now look at his second great failure. Rather than patterning his leadership after the pattern that had been established in Judah, Jehoram looked over the fence at Israel and decided to pattern his kingship by what he saw there. So let's read 2 Chronicles 21, 6-7. And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. 
and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. So please understand the difference between Judah and Israel. Judah's kingship was established on the kingship of David. God had promised that David's line would eventually give way to the birth of the Messiah, who would rule all nations. And that meant that the way in which David's kingship developed would be according to the laws that God has established for his rule. You know, for instance, recall, if you will, what occurred when David sinned. And here I'm speaking specifically of his sin with Bathsheba. So after that sin, Nathan, the prophet of God, approached the king and utterly condemned him for his sin and demanded that David repent and humble himself before God. No, no, David was not a divine king. He would submit to the divine. But in Israel, things were different. For one, Israel came into existence by rejecting the kingdom of David. They established their own kingship, first under the reign of Jeroboam. His son Nadab ruled when Jeroboam died, not long. He was assassinated by Baasha, who then became king. And after his death, his son Elah became king. But again, not for long, he was assassinated by a man named Zimri. Zimri thought to become king, but the army took over and declared Omri as king. It was a military coup. I'm trying to paint a picture of a kingdom that is in Judah ruled by the law of God, in which the king had to submit to the law of God, and in contrast, the kingdom of Israel, where power, strength, brutality, and doing what it took to become king was the order of the day. And so having killed his brothers, Jehoram looked over the fence and said, I love the way those strong leaders of Israel rule, the men who seize control by power rather than by rule of law. See, Jehoram determined he would be such a ruler, but he also did more. He married King Ahab's daughter, King Ahab was king of Israel, a wicked man. And this turn of events was because of Jehoshaphat's sins when he entered into alliances with King Ahab. And it is in this way that no doubt Jehoram got to know the family of Ahab. That's why he married Ahab's daughter to form a military alliance with Israel. And it would become a tragedy. Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. We believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know there's times when you may miss the radio program, so we want to remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series, both audio and video with Dr. John, but also learn more about our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our desire is to serve you so that the Bible teaching you can trust is available to as many people in as many ways as possible. For more information or to support this Bible teaching ministry, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. We've looked at two ways in which King Jehoram failed. First, he refused to accept his station in life and the limitations God placed on him. And we can do the same if we won't accept the place in life that God assigns us. 
It doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek to better our station if that's available to us, but we can't do that regardless of the damage we cause. And secondly, we've also noticed that King Jehoram admired a form of government that God had forbidden for him to emulate. Again, we do that when we seek a way forward that's not in keeping with God's laws. Let's say there's a business person and he lies to get ahead. A student in university cheats to get better marks. A person marries someone whom God has forbidden them to marry. I mean, all of these are examples of the kinds of mistakes that Jehoram would have made. Now, let's look at the third great error. When trials and reversals and defeats came, Jehoram had no model in his life that taught him how to handle that. Having based his life on projecting his own power and being the captain of his own soul, how would he then handle the inevitable? What would he do when life didn't go in the way in which he had planned? I'm reading 2 Chronicles 21, 8-10. In his days, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Jehoram passed over with his commanders and all his chariots, and he rose by night and struck the Edomites who surrounded him and his chariot commanders. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. At that time, Livna also revolted from his rule because he had forsaken the Lord, the God of his fathers. Let's put that into context. Edom had been under the reign of Judah since the time of David. At one time before Solomon died, they had rebelled, but because of the skillful leadership of both King Asa and King Jehoshaphat, that rebellion was put down and Judah's influence in that region carried on. Indeed, Jehoshaphat had put a royal deputy to rule over Edom. But now in Jehoram's time, Edom rebels again. Jehoram had tried to put that rebellion down, but the the fight got so nasty that the Edomite forces surrounded Jehoram's forces. And then amazingly, Jehoram himself had broken out of the trap and managed to escape. And when we read that, we should remember that God was in all of that. God was gracious to Jehoram, and it seems obvious that God was gracious on account of the covenant that he had made with David. Nonetheless, Jehoram suffers defeat. Edom is now independent. And seeing that this worked, Libna on the western side of the territory of Judah decided, let's do the same. And so suddenly, the kingdom of Judah is smaller, her influence is reduced, her economy suffers. And at that juncture, Jehoram makes a decision. When King Rehoboam lost the kingdom of Israel, remember he humbled himself and he repented. But it seems Jehoram is too far down the road. He's the captain of his own soul, and repentance is not in the cards. And so what's left to the man who worshiped the power of the house of King Ahab? Well, the answer is he's got no fallback plan. He doesn't repent. Indeed, as we're going to see in a moment, he becomes even more rebellious. Now, by way of application, let's not come to the conclusion that all setbacks and failures and defeats in our lives are due to sin. That's simply not the case. But sometimes it is. Sometimes God brings defeat into our lives so that we might turn to him and plead with him for mercy. We need to claim 1 John 1 verse 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Failure to repent is assurance that we will live lives of constant defeat. But even if our defeats are due to our own sins, there's still so much to learn. The Puritans used to pray, if you should give me a choice to live in pleasure and keep my sins, 
or to have them burnt away with trial, then, dear Lord, give me a sanctified affliction. (laughs) That is, give me hardships that bring about my own holiness. And any time we pray that way, we do well. We, We prosper. But what should occur if we don't humble ourselves? Well, David said it well in Psalm 32, 3 and 4. He said, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Let's press forward. We've seen three places where Jehoram's life was a failure. First, he refused to accept his station in life. Second, he admired the kings who didn't walk with God. And third, he didn't humble himself before God in times of defeat and failure. And now fourth, and this is the worst, King Jehoram fostered idolatry. 2 Chronicles 21, 11 to 13. Moreover, he made high places in the hill country of Judah and led the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom and made Judah go astray. And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and have enticed Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom as the house of Ahab led Israel into whoredom. Now, the whoredom or the prostitution that Elijah spoke about was abandoning covenant loyalty to the Lord and instead prostituting himself with idols. This event is remarkable. And if if you know your Bible history, you'll immediately remember that Elijah the prophet, well, he prophesied in Israel and not in Judah. But the news of what Jehoram was doing in Judah had made its way to the prophet Elijah. And although God had called Elijah to prophesy to Israel for her sins, God now says, you have also must speak to this man and utterly denounce him. See, it's important to remember the significant difference between Judah and Israel. When the nation split in two, Jeroboam, the first king of Israel, was deeply concerned. He thought to himself, look, this new nation I formed is very fragile. What if every year when the people of Israel journey south to Jerusalem during the sacred festivals and worship the Lord in his temple, simply the repetitive act of always doing this will wear away their loyalty to the new nation. And so Jeroboam came up with a plan. He would bring about a substitute religion. He would make golden calves and set them up in the cities of Bethel and Dan and then set up festivals and holy days and substitute those for worship of the true God in Jerusalem. And this became known as the sin of Jeroboam, which every successive king in Israel repeated. And for some strange reason, Jehoram wants to do that now in Judah. Stop and think about it. In our day, there are religious substitutes for worshiping Jesus as the only begotten son of the living God. You know, they have many names. It's called the new sexual morality. It's called the new tolerance even of sin. It's called the new acceptance of all things, even the things that are untrue or are in error. The point we learn from the life of Jeroboam is that once one starts a journey away from the living God, there simply is no end to which one is willing to go. The sad thing about the reign of Jehoram is not just that he abandoned the Lord and that he abandoned the way of the Lord, but that his influence led to generations of people abandoning the Lord in Judah. Jehoram's son, Ahaziah, became king after him, and he was just like his dad. And when Ahaziah was visiting Israel, there was a coup. 
Another change of dynasties in Israel, strong men rising to the top so that the king of Israel was assassinated and Ahaziah, he was assassinated right alongside of him. He died there. I mean, after that came an incredibly wicked reign of a woman, Athaliah, who tried to butcher every single person in David's family. Oh, how the, the chickens came to roost. And yet one boy, Joash, was saved and with him, the reign of David was allowed to continue. But idolatry in one generation breeds it in the next. I remember once doing a funeral for a young man who had tragically taken his own life, leaving a young family shocked and wounded and devastated. And at the funeral, I got to know that young man's dad. He told me that he had once been in the Christian faith, but he had rejected it. His one act had reached down far beyond him and had plunged successive generations into darkness. So that's the fourth lesson we learn from this failed King Jehoram, the consequences of his decision for idolatry. And that brings us to the conclusion of his life and our fifth and last lesson. King Jehoram finished his life badly and left no one speak well of him. He's best of all forgotten. First of all, I, I did not repeat everything that Elijah the prophet said concerning Jehoram. Elijah prophesied that God would bring a plague on Judah and that Jehoram himself would have a severe sickness in his bowels so that his bowels would slowly come out. Next, he was invaded by the Philistines and Arabians, and they took away the wealth of the nation, leaving only one son to him, leaving the entire line of David down to one man. And then 2 Chronicles 21:19. In the course of time, at the end of two years, his bowels came out because of the disease, and he died in great agony. His people made no fire in his honor like the fires made for his fathers. And that is to say, people said, thankfully he's gone. And to that we conclude, don't be the captain of your own soul. Entrust your soul to the Lord God and he will do well with you. Thanks for your message, John. John, do you think it's true to say that all evil or bad people end their lives badly? Well, they surely do, I would say. Uh, I mean, it may not look badly to us. It seems like they're successful and then they drop dead. But, you know, they end their lives being faithless to the end, having no love for God to the end. And what's ultimately going to be remembered of them is their faithlessness. I mean, that's the eternal memory they will leave behind. So I guess I would say, yeah, Ben, I think every single person who lives outside of the gospel will leave no lasting legacy. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we conclude our series, King Size Lessons on Faith and Failure, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. You know, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know how the ministries or ministry resources of Back to the Bible Canada are impacting your life, what you found most beneficial. Is there a specific resource or medium, a message that has brought blessing and encouragement into your life? Not only do your notes and emails offer encouragement, but they allow us to know how we can provide effective Bible teaching ministry. Our mission is to build you up in God's Word and to grow faithful disciples for His church. So touch base, would you? Email us at info at backtothebible.ca or visit us at backtothebible.ca and click on contact and leave your message there. 
We're so grateful for all you do to support this Bible teaching ministry. For more information or to send a gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.